Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to your book, the podcast for literary nosy parkers. I'm your book inspector, Daisy Buchanan. If you'd like to order a signed copy of any of my books, they're available from the Margate Bookshop, who delivers nationwide. My latest novel, Careering, a comedy about the frustrations of work and ambition, is available in hardback, published by Sphere in the UK and Doubleday in the US. I've just finished my brand new novel, and your book listeners will be the first to hear all about it and see Becky Guyatt's amazing cover art. Yes, I know podcasts are all audio. We'll work it out somehow. On the 7th of November, I'm having a festive book conversation with podcast alumnus Lindsay Kelk in Waterstones, Birmingham. Tickets are available on the Waterstones website. I hope to see you there. Now, on to today's guest. What could be more apropos for Halloween than a chat with the legendary Kid Congo Powers? Kid has been in The Cramps, The Gun Club, and Nick Cave's band, The Bad Seeds. His memoir, Some New Kind of Kick, is an absolute riot. It's about his experiences of growing up as a queer Latinx teen in 70s Hollywood. It's touching, devastating and joyous. It's as much of a love letter to literature as it is to music. It's a story about how books bonded some of the biggest talents in the rock world. I knew I was going to love Kid as soon as I read about how he made friends by bonding over a shared love of Eve Babbitt's. That and his story about getting so stoned with Debbie Harry that she fell into a bush. We talk about spooky stories, addiction and the books Nick Cave recommended to him. I wanted to start by saying how much fun I had reading your book. It's the most fun I've had in the longest time. And it's so, you know, evocative of an era. I wish I was in LA then and I wasn't, but I could really, really feel it and feel the the teenage excitement. It made me long for that. Oh, great. Yeah, that was actually the really fun part of writing the book. (laughs) You know, I really enjoyed like the childhood and teenage bit. I wanted the book to be like fun and funny because my life was just so nuts you know uh we were just such unrestrained kids such brats the antics were great but i was actually really um inspired by um uh, cookie mueller's books and especially um do you know cookie mueller she is the uh i know her name she but is I from do, the john waters she was in jo- the early john waters uh, films and, oh i've got and i'm gonna flash you i've real, got my john waters re- shirt on i put it on in your oh, there we go <laughs> She wrote uh, some books that are these just wild, hilarious stories. She has one that actually just recently reissued called, I 
think the title is uh, Walking Through a, a Clear Pool Painted Black. And it's a series of essays and stories about her life, but mostly antics that she got up to. But you really get to know her and her people and the whole, you can, yeah, picture the whole thing. So that was really inspiring me, for me, you know. And at first, I just wanted it to be funny stories. But then I, uh, then I got an editor who said, you got to tell all of it. <laughs> but um, so that was really an inspiring thing. So I'm glad that you are having fun with it. I'm so glad that you got that feeling about L.A., you know, and the growing up there and, you know, going from the glam rock era into the punk rock era. When I was writing it, I'm like, wow, we were moving at like 10,000 miles an hour, you know, <laughs> with no sense of reflection. And, um, you know, it was chaotic. And, um, and I wanted to get that kind of feeling in the book. Oh my goodness, the part where I don't want to give away uh, too much of people who have yet to read it, but uh, the Grand Theft Auto bit, <laughs> and you really feel like you're in the car, oh, sort of great. speeding along, going, what's happening? <laughs> uh, but that sense of, I guess, fluidity and possibility, and I think, you know, this is, I think for everyone in different ways, quite a, a difficult time, and a time when it doesn't feel as though there's much possibility. And I love the, I know there's also, you know, sort of dark and difficult and sort of complex things you've explored but there is that sense of hope and creating for the sake of creating with no other agenda than seeing what happens it's strange when you put things on the page you know you can think about them and you can talk about them but when you see it on the page i was like wow we were like every minute doing something you know and there was no uh nothing to stop us you know and and we wanted like when it was a teenager i wanted to start a fan club for every band I met because I thought they were all so great. I wanted them all to be world famous, um, you know, like the Ramones and the local band, the Screamers. It didn't matter, international band, local band. It was just like all the same exact thing. And, and I found so many like-minded people, you know, and I really noticed this at when I was in the glam era. And I went, you know, I was at the very end of the Rodney Bingenheimer's English disco uh, glam rock thing. I entered because of my age at the, at, at the descent. But, you know, I met so many kids my age there. I met so many high school age kids that were just wanted, so excited to be around music and um, dressing up preening around and uh, the whole idea was love of music and we want to be near it and we want to be part of it you know so that was really exciting for me to you know go over again because I, I started to remember all of that um, innocent excitement you know and and, and just it was so very pure so very uh, driven to, to, to make things happen, to make it happen, you know. And, and when punk finally came around, you know, the, the earliest vestiges of it, um, you know, like Ramones or, or Patti Smith or, or, or whatever, you know, it was just so miraculous that, uh, or Blondie, you know, that these people would talk to us <laughs> at all, you know, because coming from the glam era, it was more like, okay, we're kids, we're on the outside, the rock stars are in the VIP booth. They're, you know, behind dark glasses, jumping into a limousine, and maybe you'll catch a glimpse of them. Maybe you'll get an autograph, but talk to them. That 
was not going to happen, you know, in the in the in the mid early to mid seventies. So when someone like um, the Ramones just came out and started talking to their fans, it was miraculous. Oh, when you're all getting stoned with Debbie Harry and she fell in a bush. <laughs> I love that bit. I'm a very big Blondie fan. But I think it might be through the Ramones fan club in the book. You mentioned through another Ramones obsessed friend becoming interested in Eve Babbitt's. And I let out a little sort of fangirl cry. I was like, I want to join an Eve Babbitt's fan club because I love her and I love Eve's Hollywood. Yeah, so good. Eve's Hollywood was, you know, I read that when I was a teenager and that that made me, that was a, the, the adventure I wanted. I wanted her adventure. Her description of Hollywood and her life she was you know, experiencing was just like, wow, you know, there's a bohemia of, of Laurel Canyon. And it was miraculously inspiring. And that was the quest. So when I heard my friend Pleasant Gaiman talking about Eve Babbitt, I was like, oh my God, she knows who Eve Babbitt is. And I'm like, She's kind of like Eve Babbitts. She actually is the punk Eve Babbitts. And um, and so I had to be I had to know her. So you were writing before you were in bands and writing in journalism was always a part of your life and a part a way to stay close to music and you know, you're so sort of culturally plugged in and discovering all these new sounds. And I'd love to know a bit more about kind of how books fit into that and whether they played any sort of role you know my mother was a voracious reader you know she had uh all kinds of books from fiction to uh she was a big studier of uh she's an artist and so there was a lot of art books around uh so reading was always something that was going on and when i started reading that was in you know and i learned you know those are childhood reading of course I loved those Madeline books when I was a little kid. I wanted to be her. I wanted to, that she's a, you know, she's a, in a, a French, that French little girl who is with all the nuns and she's in a Catholic Interesting, because I think that sort of Madeline's world is so crisp and precise exactly. and so sort of ordered. And was it because it was, you know, sort of so different from being California that... It was 100% different, yeah, different gender different <laughs> a different land yeah it was exotic to me but it made such perfect sense and it seemed so peaceful there was adventure but it was peaceful the artwork was gorgeous and the stories were they're somehow touching you know and and identify yeah, i could identify with uh being the last one in line that's you know and the last one in line was madeline and um you know and that so that 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 spoke to me as a, a child you know and then you know i started reading um you know as a teenager i would read magazines i was a magazine reader and through that that's where i learned about books you know i would read you know i heard about you know whatever Jack Kerouac, or I heard about, uh, you know, the Beats, you know, William Burroughs, you know, mm. this is getting into teenage years. Um, yes, because of the, the Burroughs building was near to you. Exactly. So, yeah, it was calling me. And, uh, yeah, I grew up right near the Burroughs building, which is grandfather's office. Um, very pristine uh, building, but very pristine uh, products they had as well, which I was had no idea what it was I just knew that building 
and um, it is funny because I talked to uh, uh, a friend of mine read it um, here in Tucson and he said my father worked for the Burroughs Corporation and my favorite thing was always going to their Christmas parties because it was like you described it it was like another world it was like super you know uh, mid-century modern I guess you would call it now um, but at the time we in that, Mad Men yeah <laughs> exactly they said it was like going into the space age and um and so I was like, oh, my, my suspicions <laughs> are vindicated. How did you sort of feel about but William Burroughs' prose? Because I've got to admit, I re- when I was a teenager, I really, really wanted to like it and get it. And I struggled. And I was like, yeah, I get this is this is the thing. This is really, really cool. I'm really moved. And I'm like, this is quite frightening to me. Yeah, it was frightening. And that's why I loved it. It's hard going reading, for sure, especially for a teenager. But also... Um, the language was so, uh, it was like a puzzle to decipher. And my first love of this uh, Naked Lunch, that was the first thing I read uh, as a teenager, was the images, really. You know, I didn't, I didn't know much about story going on. But, and there was a story, and it was, it was sci-fi. But the language was so uh, alien. It was alien. And I really loved that. And um, for me, I liked the challenge of uh, trying to decipher what it might mean. And actually, you know, at, at that point and now with William Burroughs, you kind of have to make up your own story as to what a lot of it is sometimes and, and your own impressions. And uh, for me, reading that was like impressionistic and very much, you know, photo, you know, I saw photos or paintings or things in my mind, snapshots in my mind. And I'm like, wow, that's wild. <laughs> that's impossible. And I imagine really inspiring for, you know, work that you then went on to make. Yeah. And I guess these things, sometimes they produce an immediate response and sometimes they linger for years and exactly. look something together. Exactly. Yeah. So later and then as age and wisdom uh <laughs> showed up you know i'm william burroughs still thrills me you know do those old feelings come back when you reread him or do you feel as though when you read something from your past do you do you feel the the years oh yeah i relive it yeah yeah and some stuff falls flat william burroughs doesn't though most of the beat stuff i actually you know through william burroughs uh and like reading more like his biographies and things. I got very interested in the in the writer Herbert Hunky, who was the actually before William Burroughs. And oh wow, I don't know oh, Herbert yeah, Hunky, yeah. but what a name! Yeah, Herbert Hunky, and he was this he's an amazing writer. Oh my God, you have to look it up. He was the person that William Burroughs and Ginsburg and Jack Kerouac all were enthralled with. Because he was a real street hustler. He was a real street person. But he could write. And he um, had some books published. Um, one I really love. It's called The Evening Sun Turns Crimson. And um, now there's a compendium called The Herbert Hunky Reader that uh, has a lot of these in it. Uh, but, um, but his uh, account of uh, brutal street life and being a... A, a queer hus, gay hustler uh, in Times Square and around, you know, t- describes a lot of the characters he encounters. 
talk about evocative of a time. You know, it's something you, you would never th that people don't think about that that that, that time. And um, but like he has this incredible compassion for all these people. Like like people are screwing each other over and ripping each other off, and it's just terrible. And uh, you know, they're taking advantage of all these people. But then he's talking about how beautiful their eyes are, <laughs> or how. Uh, kind this act of kindness that showed through you know of their you know and it's just like oh my god you know he's so great at it and so he's really yeah he's great father of the beats you know and so you know Kerouac and Ginsburg they were like Columbia University students you know <laughs> writing about these things mm. and William Burroughs came from quite a privileged background but mm. he was living the real street life but had the intellect to, to to write about it so it's yeah so it's definitely another time and yeah very bold to be writing about queer culture but i think he had no choice you know and that's what he knew and he was not ashamed of it or embarrassed about it you know it was his life and uh and so yeah the courage of that on that theme i was wondering whether you have any favorite queer love stories or sort of novels that moved you that had oh. that story just I was just um talking to Andrew Sean Greer who yeah. wrote less and he was talking about his as a a young gay man and I think uh he wouldn't mind me saying a young awkward gay man he wasn't finding those stories there was lots of sort of you know misery and doom yes and nothing so it was like you can just be with someone and it's wonderful John Reshi um you know City of Night this was I think his first major novel and um and it's a fiction, but very based on his own experience. For me, there was a lot of identification. And he's actually searching for love and not searching for love because he's, a, again, a street hustler. Um, <laughs> you see, see a pattern here. Um, <laughs> you know, it goes from him searching for something, this life of a hustler, his telling of all the people, and they're searching for there are points where love almost happens, but he has to reject it. The points where love almost happens, you're just like, oh, just go for it. Go for it. Go, 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 go. Do it. Do it. Do it. Let it happen. You know, um, there's that. Uh, you know, most of the gay love stories I like are personal and private life, you know, and both people I know. <laughs> That's kind. My hero, my my gay stories are, uh, you know, people I know, you know, and perhaps, you know, that might be a good book to write one day, you know, because um, uh, I thought about that after reading this, like, oh, I left, I left so much, you know, you can only write so much, you can't write your entire life. You were saying, I'm saying there's so many stories, and then I was thinking there's so many queer friends stories and so many queer rock and roll friends stories and a lot of people lost around the time of AIDS in the 80s and uh, and what great stories you know I, I touch on some in, in my book uh, but there are so many more you know because there's a few people I'm like oh, I can't believe that that didn't either didn't make it in or, or that I left it out you know there's so much more to tell I wanted to ask you about other music memoirs and any that you've particularly loved and also whether there are any anyone where you think oh, I really wish they would write a memoir yeah uh, there's a, a million I've grown up always reading 
lots of rock and roll memoirs. Um, I did. Actually, I hope you think this is a compliment. Um, when I was reading yours, it made me think of the, the, uh, the Viv Albertine book. And there are a few, but that first one in particular where she formed the slits, which I loved. Yes, yes. Well, I, I take that as a great compliment. Because I really did Good. love that book. Yeah, I thought that was such a great book. And again, so evocative of the time. You know, I, I guess you might have read it, but I saw The Slits in 1977 on my trip to, my trip to London as a school kid. And uh, damn, that, that stuck with me, you know. That is great. Um, but some of my favorite things, yeah, Ian Hunter's book, uh, Diary of a Rock and Roll Star, was really, really great rock and roll, uh, warts and all sort of uh, uh, book um, that I really love. I haven't read that. When was that published, is it? In the 70s, yeah. Because I imagine that's much rawer and wilder. Yes, yes. So it's a, it's a, it's great. And, and I love his writing and his voice. And uh, not only his singing voice, but I love his <laughs> writing voice. And uh, I really loved, uh, more recently, I've re- re- read Barry Adamson's book, you know, Friends of Mine's books, Warren Ellis's book I just recently read uh, from the Cave and the Bad Seeds and about Nina Simone's gum. Oh, that's been on my list for so long. I oh, that's a nice it. one. It's a nice one. Reckless Eric's book I really liked a lot. Yeah, he wrote a great book, uh, Eric Goulden. And he actually, when I was starting to write, and I met him probably in the early aughts, because he was living in France, and he came to one of our shows, and I told him I was uh, writing, I was writing a book, because I've been writing this book forever, you know, talking about it, you know, to the point where everyone's like, where's that fucking book? You know, (laughs) (laughs) where where is it? You've been talking about that thing for years. Um, But I told him, and so then him and uh, his partner, Amy Rigby, great musician as well, uh, they came to another show on the same tour, and he brought me a copy of his book. And so it was a great read because it was really like, childhood and the ascent and then he becomes famous and that's all kind of left out and then it's like the down but but he is wow what a storyteller that man is oh i'd really love to read that i didn't know that yeah. he'd written a book yeah. but i think you're so right it's really difficult to i think write about fame i guess because yeah. you're writing maybe about a time when everyone feels though they know what happened to you and what went on. Yeah, because, well, you're, in a again, in a place of priv- great privilege when you're very famous, I will imagine. And um, is it interesting? That is the question, mm. you know? If everything's being taken care of and everything's going smoothly, you know, obviously everyone's life is not going... We know famous people are not <laughs> living smoothly. But... Um, it's, it's also when you write a book, you have to make a lot of choices about what you're going to talk about and mm. what was important to you and what do you think your story is. And um, people kept saying, you only have one story and that's it. You know, you have a million small stories, but I but you only have really one story. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We'll be back with kids soon, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week. I've chosen Going Home by Harriet Evans. This summer I was feeling stuck, scared and not quite sure how to move forward with my life and a friend of the podcast, Jay West, recommended this to me as a cheering comfort read. It's gorgeous. It's a classic rom-com about misconnections and being haunted by old boyfriends, but the tone is sharp and warm. The details are luscious. It's so funny and so smart. A perfectly proportioned dollop of clever escapism, which left me feeling so much better than it found me. Going Home by Harriet Evans is published by HarperCollins and out now. Now back to Kid. I was wondering whether anyone that you have played with in in your career, did they recommend any books to you? Did you recommend any books to them other than the ones we talked about? Always, yeah. I bet, I bet Nick Cave recommends a lot of books. Nick Cave, yeah. Yeah, you know... Um... The cave and the whole circle of uh, people around uh, the book that I really liked that he um, recommended to me was a book called I Was Dora Suarez. But that was a great, really super interesting book he recommended. Is uh, that a novel? A novel, yeah. It's about a murder and, and it's the murdered person is telling the story. Also, um, he read a lot of, like, I, I got into James Elroy books because I saw he was reading them and they were lying around. Um, so a lot of uh, hard-boiled crime. Yeah, so that and uh, Joe Callinger, The Shoemaker, that was a big uh, true crime one about this man named Joe Callinger who uh, was a cobbler and came from a family of cobblers. And then he slowly... When he has children, he was apprenticing, and but he goes, uh, I don't know, it was slowly, but he goes insane and uh, does all kinds of uh, unspeakable things. It, it ends in murder. 
he had this uh, voice that would talk to him that was a giant like he- floating head but it was like like it was like a moon circling him and around him talking to him so what i'm picturing now is you on the tour bus at the back at sort of four o'clock in the morning with like your eyes popping out of your head yes. <laughs> driving in the dark like, oh indeed, indeed. yeah so that that was a fast that was a lot of fascination for a while um and then I grew out of it, and I, I, I like I have no desire to read about true crime anymore. You talk about this sort of, I guess, in relation to the cramps and that sort of very, you know, elaborate, very, very visual sort of sense of the gothic. I think there's a book you mentioned being on um, Lux's table or something oh, yeah. in the house you were living in. It's a real like sort of the pulpiest kind of yeah they were, it they, wasn't it wasn't quite cannibal holocaust novelization but it was no, something it was, like that um, it was um, concentration camp bestiality yes. <laughs> so um yeah, those words shouldn't go together yes exactly um yeah the cramps that was definitely the, an, in, an entrance into pulp novels and and and, and into uh, yeah that world the entire world you know that was yeah another education for me um i liked all of, I, I liked some pulp novels and i loved the artwork and the campy nature of uh perversion uh, that they presented uh in, in pulp novels and you know at one time junkie by uh william burroughs was a pulp novel first mm. before it was taken as, as a serious literature i think there's something quite punk about pulp because again the way that you talk about being in a band and playing just by doing it and not knowing what you're doing i think that a lot of the pulp novels they're not by people who are classically taught to write or anything they're just people who have a yarn who want to get it down and kind of don't care how i think that's really cool exactly it's entertainment vivid entertainment yeah with the cramps that was uh, their world which became my world, uh, that I was, you know, it was there. they were my school at the time, uh, my school teachers, and um, they're my professors. Um, they had PhDs and this kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> honorary, and uh, in this kind of uh, a genre of books. And uh, they were interested in other worlds, uh, pulp fiction uh, books, and everything that goes with it, down to the artwork and the copy on the book and, you know, anything that pulls you into reading these, you know, they are, it's something not accepted by the general mm. literary world, you know, and it's, or by the world at all, you know. And um, so these are stories of disenfranchised. These are stories of, yeah, sexual perversion, uh, unseen underbelly world. And uh, sometimes my book is a bit like that. <laughs> <laughs> like my life became a Pulp Fiction book. I think there is a big, proud musical tradition of, you know, especially people who are very, very visual in their performance and in their work, using book- books become more than books. And they're kind of 
props too. And there's, it might be apocryphal, but it was in the exhibition, a story of Bowie just carrying around Baudelaire and having those books in his back pocket to, um, I think he said it was to pull birds. And yes. then one day bored, he's like, oh, I might as well read this. It's like, oh, he's not bad, this Baudelaire. Yes, I know. Now, that's the thing. It's like, who, who read these books? Actually, I've just recently... Uh, Right here on my desk, right here. Oh. I have a copy of uh, Black Sun uh, by Jeffrey Wolf, which was uh, a story about uh, Harry Crosby. Because I read it again when I was in my early punk rock teenager days. And I was really, and it was really something a lot of the punk rockers were reading. It's, you know, they were friends with Fitzgerald, they were, you know, rich aristocratic people like the Beats, you know, traveling to Morocco and all over and uh, decadent. And uh, the book starts with the end, uh, you know, where a a, uh, double suicide takes place. And it's very, very scandalous. And um, that was the live fast, die young, leave a beautiful corpse type of uh, scenario. And that in Hollywood, at least uh, that, among the punk rockers, that was a book that I think was on every person I knew's bookshelf. And I was like, but did anyone read it? <laughs> yeah, I, was, I was like, because ah. I said, I'm almost always going and checking, is it dog-eared? <laughs> <laughs> I want but you proof. read it. I want proof. <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, I haven't read it since then, so I need to reread it. But, you know, it was the kind of thing that this was going on in the punk rock circles in the early days where literature was such a big uh, part of the language and such a part of the identification. You know, everyone had library cards and, and trading books was a real way to get to know people you like. What are the books that you have recommended the most? Probably, I mean, Call Her Miss Ross, <laughs> the story of Diana Ross, and it's written by the, the ex-fan club president, and it just is scandalous and pulls no punches about Diana Ross. Uh, I love Diana Ross. I love I love her music. But, but it's just like, wow, this person had an axe to grind and, uh, wow. <laughs> and pulled out really scandalous stuff. And it, uh, you know, kind Oh, of, that is a genre I think is underserved that I love, I grudge know. writing. Exactly. Um, Kitty Kelly books, uh, you know, on uh, Frank Sinatra and... Uh, and of course, the Albert Goldman Elvis one. Oh, no, that book is great. Uh, the Jerry Lee Lewis one by Nick Toshis. He wrote this amazing, amazing uh, book about Jerry, a uh, biography of Jerry Lee Lewis. And that is a really enjoyable read. Like, it's almost like goes into William Faulkner territory because he, oh, really wow. he really takes that whole uh, fire and brimstone and good versus evil, you know, religion versus decadence, uh, sort of, uh, you know, the demons that uh, Jerry Lee Lewis has that make him so uh, fiery and, uh, and, and attractive and repulsive. And, uh, <laughs> and so that, that's an amazing read. And I've often told people to get that book, you know, because it's just a great piece of literature that's actually a biography is it kind of as much of a philosophical exploration of who he is and why he is yeah like well he was born here and he went to the school no no it's not that's like that not at all and 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 it is a philosophical in in a very big way and it's very much dealing with his religious struggle between uh 
uh, good and evil, right and wrong, switching one off for the other. Uh, Little Richard also has this kind of thing, you know, it's a, the mm. product of their time in the South, in America, you know, uh, of religious, of uh, strict religious upbringing. I think I mentioned it in the in the book. I was born in 1959, and that was the year that that little Richard uh, threw all his jewels into the river and said he was going to be a man of God now. <laughs> and uh, I said, well, he threw those in the river and made room for me to be there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was the same year that Elvis went into the army. So there was a little void there for someone to be born. Something you had to rush in <laughs> yes. and fill. So if you were going to write a book about one of your musical heroes or or someone you're really interested in, is there anyone that you would like to tackle? Patti Smith. <laughs> I don't know if there's yeah. enough books about Patti Smith already. Um, oh, I think people always want to read about her. Though. Of course. You now she's so fantastic to me. You know, she's uh, really fantastic. And I like reading the biographies of her. And I haven't read yet the new Carrie and Rose. I don't think I have. It's brand new. But I can imagine her being a, a person who would give you books and recommend books. Oh, well, I will tell you, I, I've, I learned so much about books and poets, poets and, and authors from being a fan of Patti Smith, you know, at a very impressionable age. Like, yeah. So it was, you know, that's where I heard of uh, Rimbaud and that's where I heard of Baudelaire and that's where I heard of... Uh, yeah, a lot of uh, the beats I didn't know. You know, probably Herbert Hunky came from Patti Smith. You know, uh, musicians were my education. Same with David Bowie. Whatever he was reading, I wanted to read, you know, science fiction. Uh, whatever artists people were listening to, uh, Iggy Pop, you know, mentioned somewhere that, you know, Shake Appeal is like a Little Richard record. You know, I'm going to go find the Little Richard record. It sounds like Shake Appeal, you know. Um. There's a book I love, and I think it's called Stardust. It's um, lots of different fans, often writing quite explicit fan fantasies about their idols and their passion for them. And there's a real range. There's quite a lot about Bowie in there. There are some quite intense things about Barry Manilow, which I, <laughs> I didn't see coming. <laughs> but I was thinking of your book, and a book I'd love you to write as a sort of like a a guide to being a fan and everything that you've got from being a fan and what that brings you. Is it a fandom that protects us from sort of disappearing into ourselves by sort of looking outward and being curious? I think you're 100% right about that in my case, definitely. Um, and, and that's why my book is about being a fan. The upshot of the whole thing is that if I wasn't a fan and didn't meet other fans, none of whatever happened to me would have happened to me. I would have maybe become a journalist or whatever form it would have taken. Uh, you know, I still would have remained a fan of music. I mean, was, uh, one thing about writing this book, I was pretty single-minded about what I was going to do from a very young age, and that was going to be involved with music and be close to music. And so... Um, in that way, I, and I feel exactly the same way now in my mid-60s, er, early 60s. And, um, <laughs> uh, you know, I feel the same way about about being a fan, you know. Um, I am so uh, turned on by it, and it, it, and it 
It gives me hope a lot, you know, uh, and inspiration, and it keeps me engaged, and that's most what I think uh, keeps me going. And I, I, I don't have, I have not had any other kind of life, you know, that wasn't being a fan. You know, I've been a musician, you know, I've been on the other side, and I still am. Uh, but also, that doesn't stop me from being a fan. I have a kind of a a fan story okay. um a local cinema just showing a big vim vendors retrospective and i you know was vaguely aware of him and i'd seen a couple of the films but um i became this summer um a big vim vendors fan and i loved those films i saw and i saw you in uh wings of desire with nick cave what was that like being part of that it was uh quite incredible uh in a way that was, um, well, you know, it was going to work. And uh, I was brand new in the Bad Seeds. You know, I was actually had just joined the Bad Seeds for a tour, you know, to fill in. Uh, yeah, I didn't expect anything to, to go further than that. But one of my first duties was to uh, do that film. And I was aware of Inventors already and a fan. And... Uh, uh, Paris, Texas was sort of so great. And uh, I later got into his earlier films. Um, but uh, Paris, Texas, like, loomed large. And I, I um, in my book, you know, we uh, recorded uh, one of the Gun Club album, The Las Vegas Story, uh, used a lot. Ry Cooter was in the same studio recording that soundtrack to Paris, Texas. So I knew what that that was happening, and and so when the film came out, uh, yeah, yeah, it was a gorgeous, what a gorgeous piece of work. But uh, so working, so being with Vim Vendors was incredible, and that he, uh, I was like, wow, he's really like one of his films. He's like was very like calm and observing, and things looked to be moving quite slowly, and he was uh, very measured, it seemed, and considerate. You know, considering everything i mean i didn't really see him start screaming at people or anything but of course i was there for one day but i was really taken with that and that and i thought wow he is really wonderful because um it was i think the birthday of the cinematographer henry alacane who had done so many great films you know and those really surreal surrealistic uh, cocteau films that are so gorgeous and beautiful and i already knew and so it was a surprise. He said, like, oh, up here in this crane is uh, Henry Alacan. You are going to look more beautiful than you've ever looked. And he's like, and, and just know yet one of the greats is here and that you are being shot by them and is you know, really a privilege. And, and sing happy birthday. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, but that was like, I was like, wow, he's so generous, too. And, and it was such a wonderful moment i probably would have not known you know this was happening mm. so there was a lot of experience going on and it was you know berlin of that time you know it was the 80s yeah. uh, west berlin you know you were encircled by east germany and um and it was a real time to be there you know it was it was normal at the time uh but it was just a really special feeling a really special time and that i knew uh and that Vim Vendors was such a music fan was great, you know. And he actually said, like, oh, I've seen the Gun Club. I love Jeffrey Lee Pierce. And I saw you play in L.A. at this 
club lingerie. And, you know, I was like, wow, you know, we didn't even know Vin Linders was at our own show. That's amazing. You know, and, um, you know, and obviously by his soundtrack choices, he is. But yeah, so yeah, Vin Linders, how lucky can a person be? Talking to a fan, I'm fanning out right now, (laughs) thinking about it. I love it. (laughs) I could talk to you all day, but I know it's early there and you've got things to do. So sadly, I'll draw things to a close, but I'd like to ask, uh, what are you reading next? What's on your book pile? Right now, I have, well, I'm going to reread Black Sun. Actually, my book pile is here on my desk I'm working at. I'm rereading The Sexual Outlaw by John Reshi. Um, I'm reading, uh, I'm in the mid- middle of a uh, great book called uh, Brown Neon by Raquel Gutierrez, and she's a, a butch lesbian and uh, artist and has worked in the arts, and she's a poet, and it's a lot of essays about her life, uh, you know, more... Uh, Chicano queer culture, especially particularly butch culture, and it's really gorgeously woven together. There is uh, this book, The Diplomat, by I was sent to me by Chris Wumserly. It's got a great cover. Yeah, it's great, and it it is a fictional about Australians that move to Europe, criminal Australians that are art forgers, and. Oh. Uh, things take a very dark turn. I should possibly describe the cover because I know people can't see it. I just see lots yes. of um, stockinged leg. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I yes. do, I love an art book and an art heist book. There's one, um, uh, Siri Hosfet, um, What I Loved, which I was very put off by the title and I thought it was going to be quite dry and quite, uh, but it's all about um, art in the 80s in New York. And um comes up a bit in uh, William Boyd, uh, Any Human Heart in the 60s. And it's very gossipy about art. And the sort of, and I suppose that that's um, back to Vin Vendors because uh, The American Friend, which I've not read because um, it's, it's Ripley, isn't it? Patricia Highsmith. So that has reminded me that that's what I want to read next. Yes. <laughs> Although I will be reading Hunky. Yes, I think a Hunky is uh, always good read, and and uh, that that is on my my uh, pal, my, my that's a lot to read. They'll <laughs> 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 see you through other... the winter. But that's the thing. Now now that I now that I've written a book, I'm getting a lot of people sending me their <laughs> books, <laughs> which is fantastic. You know that so many of my peers are writing their memoirs because the time is now <laughs> you, you know, we're, we're over 60 and we should probably start <laughs> reflecting a bit you know I mean that's a novel I would love to write that I've just thought of where you've got say four or five people and they're maybe in their 50s and their 60s and they've been in a huge band and they've all gone off and sort of been fairly friendly and done their own thing and they've all written separate memoirs and all the memoirs come out and they're all blurbing each other and then they're like there's a, a mystery or something happened and scraps of misremembered things they've all written and it's like, oh, that was a crazy night. I can't remember anything. And they piece it all together. Oh, have a big falling out. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's a free plot. Yes, I grass. know. <laughs> but it's really, yeah, that would that is great. And it's kind of like that. I mean, 
it's funny. It's a little bit. This is a little bit of process, but the process of getting blurbs. Uh, it's like getting the courage to ask someone, mm. and then you know, this is before there's any published anything. So you're like, ooh, ah, what is? <laughs> yeah, what are they going to think? They're going to hate it. The worst book I ever read, read, you know, which would actually be a great blurb. That'd be a great, that'd be a great blurb, actually. It would, actually. I'd I'd buy it. I'd buy it, sure. So, yeah, so that was it. And I'm like, are they going to find it funny? Are they going to, any kind of self-doubt that you may have (laughs) comes to the forefront (laughs) when you're trying to get blurbs. (laughs) And luckily, everyone was nice. Because it's a really great book, because everyone loves it. Um on that note thank you so well, so much you. for taking the time i've had so much fun it's great talking um, to you have a really great day and i'm going to be being a big old fangirl and raving about this book oh I thank can't you. wait to tell everyone i appreciate it huge thanks to kid some new kind of kick is published by omnibus and it's out now i really love this book it's funny it's open-hearted and generous and occasionally it is desperately sad It's a must-read for anyone who is interested in the 20th century music scene and for anyone with an interest in memoir. If life writing is something you're curious about, you will learn so much from this book. You can follow us at YBooked on social media. Look out for book recommendations, words of wisdom from old guests and occasional shelfies. We love it when you share the podcast with your friends. Thank you so much to everyone who's left us a five-star review. If you've been listening for a while and you haven't given us five stars yet, we'd really appreciate it if you did. It helps other people to discover the podcast and their new favourite books. Your book is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. You can find a list of all the books mentioned by Kid at eggcast.com forward slash booked and check out his selection in our bookshop on bookshop.org. We'll be back soon with more book chat, but for now, I leave you with this from William Faulkner. Read, read, read. Read everything. Trash, classics, good and bad, and see how they do it. Just like a carpenter who works as an apprentice and studies the master. Read, you'll absorb it. Then write. If it's good, you'll find out. If it's not, throw it out the window. See you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. Discover South Carolina.